It's Monday, July 23rd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the world's first verified image of Mormonism founder Joseph Smith has been found, but it's not convincing everyone just yet. And how did the NASA logo become so ubiquitous in clothing, from fashion runways to rural Walmarts? Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. The world's only verified photographic image of Mormonism's founder, Joseph Smith, has been found in a box of old family heirlooms. Or at least, that's what some people are saying. There remains a bit of debate on the authenticity of the image, but this is the most promising image that has ever yet come forth. Joseph Smith Jr. founded Mormonism and the Latter-day Saints movement in western New York in the early 1800s, after saying he was visited by an angel who directed him to a set of golden plates that Smith then translated into the Book of Mormon. As he attracted followers over the years, they continually moved further westward across the U.S. in response to persecution they faced for their religious beliefs, including the then-practice of polygamy. Smith was killed by a mob in Nauvoo, Illinois in 1844, following a series of controversies within and outside of his followers and associates. There have long been rumors that a photograph of the martyred founder exists, due in part to family members at the time, like his son, Joseph Smith III, reporting that one was indeed taken. But every alleged photo thus far has been debunked. Until now... Smith's great-great-grandson, Dan Larson, recently uncovered a daguerreotype inside a locket that he inherited that he believes is the genuine article. Larson inherited the locket from his mother in 1992, but it was a bit warped and he was unable to crack it open. Fast forward 28 years, and Larson and his wife decided to go through their ample collection of family artifacts to pass the time during early pandemic lockdowns. This time, Larson decided to try prying the locket open, and was shocked to find the daguerreotype inside, which he immediately believed to be founder Joseph Smith. Larson told Deseret News, quote, in my opinion, there's absolutely no question that it's Joseph. I looked at it, and I looked at it, and saw those eyes. I told my wife to come in and look at this. We looked at it, and almost at the same time said, this is a photo of Joseph Smith, end quote. Still, to verify it, Larson reached out to his nephew, Lachlan McKay, a historian who leads the Joseph Smith Historic Site in Nauvoo. McKay and colleagues used a number of methods to authenticate the daguerreotype, all of which are recounted in an upcoming edition of the John Whitmer Historical Association Journal. Quoting Religion News Service, They hired facial recognition experts to compare the daguerreotype to Smith's death mask. The company reported back that 19 of 21 measured features matched, within a 95% confidence interval. Another expert compared the daguerreotype's facial features with those seen in the most famous oil painting of Joseph Smith, noting that the hairline and other features were a match, and that both images showed the same distinctive frown line near the left eyebrow, the article states. End quote. They also turned to historical records. A man named Lucian Foster, who lived in Smith's house in Nauvoo for two months before Smith's death, was skilled at taking daguerreotypes and even advertised his services in the local newspaper. Albeit those ads were posted after Smith's death, but it is possible Smith could have sat for a daguerreotype beforehand, and his son repeatedly said that he did. 
One of the biggest votes of confidence for this daguerreotype's authenticity is its provenance, that it surfaced as an heirloom from a descendant of Smith's. And in fact, McKay and others were able to find evidence of the very same locket showing up in photographs of prominent Smith family women over the years. As they said, this long sought after photo was hiding in plain sight all these years. Now, despite all of that, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is remaining skeptical for now. They said in a statement, quote, Every few years, potential donors bring artifacts to the church history library for review, including alleged photographs of the prophet Joseph Smith. Such artifacts are, of course, of great interest to the church, and we concur that the daguerreotype and locket were created of the materials and methods appropriate to the 1840s. However, as nothing is definitively known about the locket's history before 1992, we cannot draw a conclusion about who is pictured in the daguerreotype. We welcome the recent publication of the image and hope it will prompt the discovery of additional information helpful to determining its authenticity. End quote. Particular concerns would be dating the image to the right time period and cross-checking it's not actually an image of a close relative of Smith's, although McKay says they did look for photographic evidence of other potential candidates and came up dry. Perhaps this will prove to be genuine, and perhaps not. And for those who don't know, the various denominations within the Latter-day Saints movement are passionate historians and archivists. Discovering and retaining historical artifacts from their members over the years is both a popular pastime and serious business, hence why the church is being particularly cautious and going through so many proper channels before declaring anything. And if you want to learn more about archiving in the LDS church in a very dramatic way, I recommend the Netflix docuseries Murder Among the Mormons, which tells the tragic story of Mark Hoffman, one of the most notable forgers in history, and a prime reason why the church is being extra cautious about this latest claim. Now, as for reactions to this photograph, McKay said to Religion News Service, quote, I think for generations, people have wondered what Joseph looked like. Where was the charisma that people talk about? What was it about this man that caused people to follow him through incredible difficulty over the years? I think I can see through the eyes what might have induced those people to follow him. Parley P. Pratt and others talk about Joseph Smith's eyes, his gaze, the way he could almost look right through you. And I think I see that. End quote. Given the main image people had to go by for many years was an oil-painted portrait from 1842, the daguerreotype is drawing many comparisons to that. Now, Emma Smith, Joseph Smith's wife and a fierce defender of his public image after his death, notably disliked that portrait, saying at the time that it wasn't a good likeness of him, and that a good portrait probably couldn't be made of him because, as McKay put Emma's words, his countenance was changing all the time. McKay also adds that a retired plastic surgeon once told him that nobody looks like that 1842 portrait. It doesn't look like a real person at all. It's more of an artistic rendering. And I would have to agree with that. When I saw the portrait side by side with the daguerreotype, my immediate reaction was that the man in the daguerreotype was much more handsome. He looks a bit healthier, and maybe it's the medium of photo versus painting, but he looks a bit more alive, perhaps? If we're to assume the daguerreotype is authentic, I'd be tempted to say that the portrait artist did Joseph Smith dirty, but I wonder if it's more reflective of changing perspectives on beauty over time. What we consider attractive or markers of health in our current era 
are different than what people in various cultures in various other times considered attractive or markers of health. And that makes you reconsider the portraits of tons of historical figures that we'll never have photographs of. Was that really what they looked like? How much was artistic license or ego stoking? What elements were exaggerated to make them look better in ways that we now consider looking worse? Are there some secret hotties among America's founders that we've previously overlooked? Maybe we'll never know, but it makes you think. As a kid, one of my favorite shirts was a heathered gray t-shirt with cartoons, stars, and rockets on it that I got on a family trip to the Johnson Space Center in Houston. And like many people's favorite items of clothing, I think I mostly liked it because of how it fit and felt, more so than what was actually depicted on it, though it did remind me of a fun trip to the Space Center, so that was a bonus. And when I outgrew that shirt, I often thought about getting a new t-shirt with NASA's classic Meatball logo from 1959 on it. You know, the blue circle with stars, a red wishbone, and NASA written in white serif font. I saw enough people wearing those shirts over the years that it felt a bit like those 1977 Led Zeppelin t-shirts. You know, so many people seem to have them, and a lot of other people like to gatekeep the knowledge of folks who wore them. For fear of being grilled on the intricacies of NASA's missions, and also because I couldn't figure out where to buy one of the shirts short of driving five hours down to Houston, I never bought one of those. But then, a few years ago, NASA t-shirts and other apparel were suddenly everywhere, plastered on jackets and hats and shirts in every fast fashion store alongside licensed Marvel and Disney merch. What happened? Is a renewed enthusiasm for space exploration in the mainstream really happening? Maybe. I think it's probably mostly about money, but there is a certain something to it that no one can quite put their finger on. Bert Ulrich has been in charge of the usage of NASA's logos in film, TV, and apparel for over 20 years. The popularity of the logos have ebbed and flowed multiple times throughout Ulrich's tenure, but the current trend is sometimes traced back to a 2017 line of products from luxury fashion brand Coach. Specifically, Coach wanted to use the Worm logo that the agency introduced in the 70s and retired in the 90s. It's the one that just says NASA, but the middle A and S are connected, and the A's don't have crosses. Coach was the first brand who got permission to use that logo again after it was retired, and it has subsequently become so popular that the agency returned the logo to official use. But what does it mean to get NASA's permission to use one of the logos? As a government agency, its logos are in the public domain, so it's not licensing the logo for money. NASA makes no money from all these Vans, sneakers, and H&M hoodies. If they want to use the logo, merchandisers, film studios, and the like just have to send a request to Ulrich's office and wait for approval. Most requests get approved, but there are some exceptions. According to the Washington Post, the logos can't be used on alcohol, food, cosmetics, tobacco, underwear, or technology. It also has to adhere to the correct font, color, and other stylistic guidelines. 
And when it comes to film or TV, NASA is involved in more space-related content than you might think, either as consultants or simply approving the usage of the logo on astronaut suits. But they've said no a few times when the message of the movie doesn't quite match the optimistic take NASA wants to put out there. Notably, they said no to Jake Gyllenhaal's 2017 film Life, which Ulrich described as, quote, a scary, horrific movie, just not the type of thing the agency should embrace officially, end quote. So Gyllenhaal's film had to make up their own logo. But back to everyday apparel in stores. Ulrich says NASA received 11,000 merchandising requests from companies wanting to use the logos last year, an all-time high. As E! News put it, Houston, we have a trend. But what's causing this trend, one which never really seems to die down? Ulrich says, quote, We're in the age of tech. We're in the age of nerdism is cool, science is cool. It's wonderful that NASA fits into the tech in its own way. There's an aspirational element to the agency that I think people resonate to. End quote. CNN pointed to Coach's line in 2017, initially implying a sort of trickle-down effect from runways and high fashion to us plebes. But they also spoke with John Hall, the creative director of the design agency Consortium, who pointed out that those high fashion designers have to get their ideas from somewhere. Quoting CNN, Before Coach, kids were buying NASA t-shirts from vintage stores because they loved the nostalgic feel, the wistfulness of a piece of classic Americana, Hall said. You start with kids in cities like New York buying, like, old Disney product or old NASA t-shirts, and then suddenly some, like, cool hunter in the fashion industry, like at Urban Outfitters, sees it and suddenly goes, we should turn some NASA-branded t-shirts around, Hall said. It's kind of a reverse engineering of trends. It was probably only after the cool kids started wearing NASA t-shirts on the streets that designer brands picked up on it and sold it back to them. End quote. It's less about liking NASA, per se, and being able to rattle off every detail about every Apollo mission, and more about generally being a fan of space, or even just the, as he says, quintessential American optimism. Hall says it appeals to both urban liberals and rural conservatives, which is a huge win for any design or brand. Like other enduring modern Americana, like Disney, The Peanuts, and The Simpsons, Hall says NASA, too, works as a sort of magic equalizer. And that modern Americana goes a long way with the nostalgia and retro factor. In a blog post, Champion Hoodie pointed out that a lot of designs featuring NASA logos come pre-faded to look like a genuine vintage product. And they also point out that both the Meatball and the Worm logos are just plain good. They are very good, enduring designs. A hoodie with Snoopy or Bart Simpson on it has a particular place, but somehow the elevated design and association of NASA allows it to feel acceptable on a jacket or a hat, even at a slightly more highbrow event. And tons of celebrities have attended more casual awards shows rocking NASA logos on their wardrobes. And I do think Hall had a point about it being a magic equalizer. It's a way to wear something that kind of makes a statement without being polarizing whatsoever. I mean, sure, NASA itself and the evolving space tourism industry and the environmental impact of space exploration and the allocation of resources can all get plenty of critics. But even those critics usually admit that, yeah, space is still pretty dang cool. 
Now as for my own wardrobe, I finally got one of those classic meatball t-shirts a while back, and I now also have a NASA hoodie, NASA socks, and even a hat lying around somewhere, I think. I fully bought into the trend without even realizing it. All right, well, that is it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.